My name is John Norris. I'm a pastoral resident here at Redeemer, and it's an honor to be preaching the word. John 10. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to be looking at some verses together. John 10. And before we do, let's pray. Father, would you shepherd us now? Would you lead us by the Holy Spirit that we would be able to hear the truth and as we hear, hear the voice of the Good Shepherd? Would you give us faith so that we believe and treasure you above all things? so that we enter into life by you, abundant life in your Son. We ask for help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Good Friday. Today is the day that more wickedness was done than has ever been done. No other day in any concentration camp in Germany or Japan, no day of terrorism or national or natural disasters or genocide has been more wicked than today when the Son of God, who has infinite worth, was rejected and killed by men. And we call it good. And rightly so. Because without today, without this very wicked day, there are no good days. Today's the day that gives us every other good day and endless good days to come. Because today's the day the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. This sermon is called The Sheep, the Shepherd, and the Father's Love because we're going to talk about those three things in that order from John 10. That's the outline, the sheep, the shepherd, and the Father's love. This is where Jesus helps us see that he dies to give life to the ones that he owns, which is what makes him most lovely to the Father. Let's dig in. The sheep. In John 10, Jesus is talking about sheep. He's talking about a shepherd, door, pastures, not pastors, pastures, fields, thieves, robbers, wolves. And it's an extended word picture, a metaphor to show us what his relationship is like with his people. So we're going to look at this word picture and first see what the sheep do and who they are. Verse 8. The sheep listen to Jesus and no one else. See that in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Before Jesus came, there were people who tried to lead God's people. Not in preparation for Jesus, not in anticipation of Jesus, but for their own selfish gain. 
which is easy to do when you're a leader. There are benefits to leadership if people serve you and give you things, praise, even money. But Jesus says people like this are thieves and robbers. And the sheep didn't listen to them. So the sheep are those who don't follow false teachers. They don't follow false shepherds. They don't follow people who won't lead them to Jesus. The sheep are those who recognize Jesus when he speaks. They know him. Do you see that in verse 14? I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus has a relationship with the Father, and he's saying he's going to have a relationship like that with his sheep. And when his sheep hear his voice, they recognize him. They know something inside of them lets them know that this is him. This is their master. And there's more we can say about the sheep. In verse 16, Jesus says that he has other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus is saying there are people out in the world, who are outside of the Jewish fold. So the people of God were the Jews, and and Jesus is saying, there are people that are not in this Jewish fold that are my sheep. So he's telling us that God's people are going global. And the proof is here. But how does he know? How's he confident that the non-Jewish sheep will listen to him? Think about this. He hasn't died at this point. He hasn't sent out any disciples into the world to tell the non-Jews the good news. How can he be confident that in the future and among all the nations, people who haven't heard of him yet will come? People like you and me. How does he know? He's sure that they will listen because they are his sheep. Look again at verse 16. I have, present tense, other sheep that are not of this Jewish fold. I must bring them also, and they will, future tense, listen to my voice. They are not yet saved. They haven't started to follow Jesus yet, but they are his sheep. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus says to Paul in Acts 18, 9 through 11, when he says, don't be afraid, Paul. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Jesus is telling Paul, don't worry, there are people in this city who are mine. And he's going to use, and I'm going to use your preaching, Paul, to bring them in. Now just to confirm this, if you've got your Bible open, look outside our passage, a few verses, in verses 25 and 26 of John 10. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. He's talking to the Pharisees here. 
The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He doesn't say that they're not his sheep because they don't believe. Do you see that? He says they don't believe because they are not of his sheep. If you're a Christian, you believe and you listen to the voice of Jesus because you're a sheep. And you were before you started following Jesus. Which begs the question, why are you a sheep? Because God loves you. Yeah, but what did I do to make him love me? Nothing. In fact, you and every other person who has ever lived has loved him or herself more than God. You've ignored him. You've committed an ocean's worth of evil with every single sin. But he loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he is lovely. He made you a sheep because he wanted you to be shepherded by his son. And this is how it happened. At one time, you were only evil. You were only self-absorbed and rebellious and thankless. You did whatever you wanted. And then you heard the good news. A friend shared the gospel with you. You read it on the internet. You heard it on the radio. You read it in your Bible. And through that, You heard something more than just words. You heard the voice of the shepherd. And you listened because you are a sheep. You recognized his voice and you followed him into safe pastures. And so you were saved. That's verse 9. God's grace to you didn't start the day you believed. God's grace to you started in ages past when he chose you to be his sheep. And the right response to that is worship. Thank you, God. You did nothing to deserve it. The right response is not, wait, he chooses sheep? That's not fair. No, the Bible is clear. You really have sinned. You really are responsible for what you've done, and you really do deserve death. Fair. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit created a world and wrote a history of the world in which the Son would suffer more than anyone for sins he didn't commit. That's not fair, but it's just, and it's beautiful, and it's gracious. Some of you, I pray, will recognize his voice for the first time today. Not because you're worthy of God's love, 
but because he made you a sheep, because he is lovely. And he made you a sheep because he wants you to be shepherded by his son, the good shepherd. So let's look at who he is. This is part two, the shepherd. When we use word pictures or metaphors to describe something, we're doing a few things. And first, we're, we're giving the sense of something better than we could with simply using descriptive words. So follow me here. Jesus in John 10, he could have said, I'm Jesus, I will take care of you, I will protect you, and I will die for you. But he didn't say that. In John 10, he says, you're sheep, and I'm a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, which of those is more true? On the one hand, I'll take care of you, I'll protect you, I'll die for you. Or, you're sheep, and I'm a shepherd, and I love you. Neither is more true. They're both true. But the second one gives you a sense of who this person is better. He's a shepherd to sheep. It gives us the sense of his care in relationship to us. The other thing that word pictures and metaphors can do is they help us understand something that we don't understand by comparing that thing to something that we do. And depending on how complicated the thing we don't understand is, we may have to use multiple pictures to describe it. So if someone from America asked me, what's Jollibee? I may say, well, Jollibee is like McDonald's and KFC had a child who had a sugar craving and grew up in a noodle factory. (laughs) I have to use all those pictures because the menu at Jollibee is complex. It's a complicated thing. Jesus is two spots in this word picture. I don't know if you noticed that. He's a shepherd, and he's a door. But he's not just complex. The role that something plays in your metaphor helps explain what that person or thing does and tells you how important it is. So if I were to talk to His Highness, Sheikh Mohammed, and I said, Your Highness, how do you operate with Dubai? And he says, well, if Dubai is a car, then I would be the engine and the steering wheel. When he says that, he's not just telling us that he has lots of roles. The roles that he has in the word picture are the most important ones. And that's the case in John 10. Jesus is the shepherd, and he's the door. Look at, look at John 10. We fill one spot. We're sheep. And what we do is we listen to the shepherd and we don't listen to false teachers and we try not to be eaten. That's our role. Jesus, he's the shepherd. He's doing the most important things. But this shepherd is also a door. Look at verses 7 through 10. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The only way to enter into life is by Jesus. He's the door. Doesn't that sound like John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which is an extraordinarily outrageous and arrogant claim to make unless he really is the only way to God. He's the door. To say it another way, trusting Jesus, trusting Jesus is like walking through a door out of death and into green pastures of life. And he's saying, walk through me. Be shepherded by me. Every other door, every other shepherd, do you see that? Will steal, kill, and destroy. If you're not a Christian, or if you know you're not, listen. There is one way into life, and only one shepherd who will lead you into it. Your shepherds, the people that you think will lead you into life, whether that's a religious leader, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a family member, a teacher, or even yourself, or ways you think you can have the best life, shepherds, which are drugs and pornography, even a job or family, or the perfect combination of all of the above. Without Jesus, they will all steal, kill, and destroy you, period. If you do not enter into life by Jesus, you are being shepherded by something or someone, and the only guarantee that you have is that that thing will steal from you, it will kill you, and it will destroy everything about you that makes you, you. Listen, some of you are young people in here, and you can feel like your whole life is ahead of you. And you're sitting in here and you're going, yeah, I've grown up in church, or I've been around church. Maybe there's a middle way. Maybe I don't have to be completely sold out and crazy for Jesus. Maybe I can still do the religious thing, but I can also get the good out of life that I want, that I see. I, I want to follow my heart. Many, many of you do this. The great irony is that your heart will steal from you. Your own heart will end up murdering you, guaranteed. And your own heart will ruin you forever. You will feel like you're filling your stomach, but you will be consuming yourself and your soul. Every doorway into life that is not Jesus will, guaranteed, ruin everything. And you may not be young. You may be in the middle of life, later in life, 
And Lord willing, you have tasted that in all your striving, in all your chasing to fill your stomach, you have some sort of life, but it's not abundant life. Every other shepherd, everything you find your comfort, protection in, your bank account, will leave you destroyed. When Jesus talks, when he opens his mouth, he's not like any other teacher. He didn't come to give us motivational talks so that we have a better week, a better month, a better 10 years, a better 20 years, a better 50 years. What Jesus is talking about here is you follow me and you have abundant life, but if you follow anything or anyone else, it will destroy you forever. Every week we come and the stakes are eternal. But look at the contrast between Jesus and every other shepherd. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, you, may have life and have it abundantly. He came to give you life, full life, life with meaning, life with purpose, and a joy that doesn't leave, depending on what side of the bed you get up on, how good traffic is, how well-behaved your kids are, what your health is like. The fullest expression of life comes through knowing Jesus It comes through believing in him and entering into his life. He's the door, and he's the shepherd. Now, there's some Old Testament background to what Jesus is saying here. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 37, God says that he has sheep, and those sheep are his people, Israel. And he says that he shepherds them. And and one day, a son of David... A future king will shepherd them. Unlike the wicked leaders of Israel, God really cares for his sheep. And Jesus cares for his sheep. That's what makes him different. Do you see that in verses 12 through 13? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See what Jesus is saying? You pay someone to watch your sheep. When trouble comes, they're getting out of there. But not him. He owns the sheep. He really cares for the sheep. He shepherds you. What a comfort to know that no matter what happens in your life, Jesus will be shepherding you, caring for you, providing for you, protecting you. Praise the Lord that we have April here in the JW Marriott. That's Jesus shepherding us. He heard our prayers. But if in May we have to go to Jebel Ali, Jesus will shepherd us as a church and for all the individual problems and concerns that moving there brings because he shepherds his sheep. When you experience the joys of marriage or children, 
or job, victories over sin and sickness, promotions, laughter, good friends. Jesus is shepherding you. But we know that when we lose children and spouses and jobs, when our food is our tears, he will be shepherding us every second. He has all authority and he works everything for your good. That's the kind of shepherd I need. That's the kind of shepherd you need. But Jesus says more than that he will generally shepherd us and take care of us. This shepherd is good because he dies for the sheep. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Or verses 14 and 15. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Your greatest enemy is your own sin. Your greatest enemy is your own sin. You've done what you know is wrong. You haven't cared for others. You've hurt others. You've acted like you're the God of your life and you deserve to die for that forever. You've disregarded the most beautiful, worthy, precious being in all the universe. You've ignored him. But instead of dying, the good shepherd comes to die in your place. And this is what makes the good shepherd so lovely to the father. This is the third point, the father's love. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Okay, so one question we have to ask is, did the Father not love the Son before he came to die? Because Jesus is saying, this is the reason that the Father loves me. So did the father love the son before he came to die? And John 17 is clear that the father has always loved the son before the foundation of the world. When God the father looks at God the son, he loves him. And he loves him because, as Hebrews 1.3 says, the son is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when the father, hear this, when the father looks at his own glory, he sees his son because the son is the radiance of his glory. And the thing he loves most about his son, who is the exact imprint of himself, is that the son dies to save his sheep. That his son is the kind of glorious God who dies to save his sheep. The height of God's glory is not his infinite power. The height of God's glory is not that he has all power, all wisdom, all riches. The peak 
of God's glory, the very top, is that he would not consider those things as something to be held to himself, but rather he lays them aside to serve his own. That's what Jesus did. Turn with me to Philippians 2, if you've got a Bible, just for one minute. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. The word form in verses 6 and 7 is translating a Greek word, morphe, which can mean form, shape, the nature of something, substance, essence. So how do we know what it is? How do we know how to translate this word? What does it mean? Well, it has to mean the same thing in verse 6 that it means in verse 7, where Jesus takes the morphe, the form of a servant, the likeness of a man. So did Jesus just look like a man? Was he an angel who he appeared to be a man on our behalf? The New Testament says, no way. Hebrews 2.17 especially says, if Jesus Christ was not a man, he can't stand in the place of men. If he's not a human, he can't be a substitute for human, humans. He had to become a real man to stand in the place of real men. So, when verse 7 says that he took the form of a servant, the likeness of men, that means he by nature became a man. And if that's what it means in verse 7, that's exactly what it means in verse 6. Jesus didn't just appear like God. He didn't just look like God. He was of the same substance as God. Fully God. He is not the Father but he is the fully divine son of the father who has always been. And though he was fully divine, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held onto for himself. And so he became a real man and died. And John 10 says, that's what the Father loves about the Son. When the invisible Father looks at his glory in the mirror, he sees his visible Son, the radiance of his glory. And this is something he has always done. He has always been looking at his glory, the Son, and enjoying him forever. The Son has always been, because the Father has always been looking at himself, the radiance of his glory in the Son and loving it. And the thing he loves most 
is that his son, who shares all his glory, lays down his life for the sheep. He loves that most about the son because that's the most beautiful thing about the father's glory. He has all power, all riches, all might. And instead of taking, needing, bullying, lording over people, he serves and gives at infinite cost to himself. Think about this God. In no other system is there a God like this. A God who gives at infinite cost to himself. And that is the height of his glory. The top of his glory is not greatest in submitting his enemies. But the top is that he dies to reconcile them. That's what's good about this Friday. The good shepherd shows us what the good God is like. This was the plan from the beginning, and Jesus wants you to know it. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. So the father says to the son, son, I want you to lay down your life and take it up again for the sheep. And the son says, I want to. And the father says, I know. That's what I love about you, son. The crucifixion of the son of God is not an accident. By dying in the place of sinners, Jesus becomes the door through which you can enter into peaceful, abundant life with God simply by believing that he did it. But he didn't just lay his life down. He laid it down to take it up again, which we're going to celebrate on Sunday. And because he took it up again, he can and will shepherd you forever and ever in his abundant life. If this kind of God sounds beautiful to you, Christians, then worship. That's the application. In your hearts, worship him. Love his glory that he's the kind of God who gives at infinite cost to himself. That's his glory. Love it. And if you're not a Christian, but this kind of God sounds beautiful to you, it means that the good shepherd is calling your name. Come to him. Come to him and be saved. Let's pray. Who is like you, God? No man or any other so-called God is like you.
You have it all. But your heart is overflowing with generosity. You do not take, you give. You do not lord over us. You serve us. So Father, help us to follow you. You have made your son king of kings and lord of lords so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. To your glory, Father, help us to love him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.